Hi, folks. Johnny Laser here. My guest today is Sean Frain, a founder and CEO of Looking Glass Factory, based here in New York. What is your history of entrepreneurship? How did you get to this point? Well, specific to what I think we're talking about today in the chase for the hologram, I've been chasing that for a long time. My parents got me a book called The Holography Handbook when I was eight or nine under the Christmas tree one morning because I was begging them for any way to make a hologram like I'd seen in movies like Back to the Future 2 with Marty getting swallowed up by the big holographic shark. And then, you know, my dad helped me build a holographic studio of the classic, you know, laser interference holograms on glass slides in my bedroom in Tampa, Florida, where I grew up. And then for about 10 years, I set aside this chase for the hologram and did other entrepreneurial activities, things like non-turbine wind harvesters, self-inflating bubble wrap, stuff like that, and was able to make a small amount of money that could then be reinvested into this pursuit of holographic display uh, five or six years ago. What do you think most contributed to the success of your, your Kickstarter campaigns? I think the biggest contributor is just this cumulative effect of making something that is different from what's out there, delivering it to folks on time, and it being at least at the level, hopefully exceeding the level that folks had expected, and then doing that three or four times, and it has been snowballing a little bit from there. How do you imagine Looking Glass impacting the art world? Oh, I mean, in a lot of ways, we view Looking Glass, which, you know, it's fun to describe a holographic display over a podcast, um, but imagine, if you will, it's this field of light that is pumping out a bunch of different three-dimensional views of a three-dimensional scene, either real or imaginary, that a group of people can see. That's what the Looking Glass product line does. And because of that, it makes it a great canvas for 3D digital creations or things that, uh, things that folks might have photographed in three dimensions. So there isn't really a great dedicated canvas for work that's been made or captured in 3D that doesn't require you to put on a headset or a set of glasses on. So, you know, broadly speaking, as a new canvas for 3D artists of all sorts, we're hoping that it picks up a lot of steam. We've done some partnerships with folks in some new spaces like NFT artwork, crypto art, and what have you, where artists are making loads of money, which is great on selling limited editions of their work. And we're, we're dipping our toes in that just to understand what that's like. There are big ecological impacts to some of those new steps. So we're doing enough to learn, but hopefully not doing any damage in the process of learning. When I'm challenged to describe uh, the display, I just make it more confusing, you know, by saying it's a volumetric display, which really, it affects another part of your brain. It's 3D, mm -hmm. and to explain to people, well, it's 3D, but you can see it with one eye. I try to take them down that path of, look, it's like the world. You know, you're not amazed at 3D mm -hmm. in the world because it's all volumes you're looking at. It's a 3D thing you can look at with one eye, which really throws people off. Yeah, right. Because you could turn your head. There's maybe one eye you can look around the thing, you know, so that... Yeah, that's, that's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's... And now in terms of the enterprise, what do you think in terms of enterprise? What potential does it have in that area? folks that are getting some of this new system that we uh, launched a couple months ago, the Looking Glass Portrait, which is this small 7.9 inch holographic display for folks' home studios or home office desks or what have you. A lot of those folks are working from home right now. So the lines between what is personal, what is enterprise, what's work, what's home life, is all that stuff has been blurred over the last 12 months 
you know, in some cases folks will pull in a three-dimensional image they shot by taking a portrait mode photo with their iPhone, they'll pull that into the looking glass portrait. In the next step, they'll pull in a 3D model of a CT scan that they might have on their computer if they're in the 3D imaging world. This is an approach that's been taken a few times in the past, most notably by folks at Apple, where this new class of holographic light field interface or display is able to flow naturally between personal and business use in a whole lot of applications and really not be limited to one or the other. And why did you pick New York City to base your business? There's a lot of 3D heart in New York City, NYSA obviously, also folks like MakerBot in 3D printing world or Shapeways. Folks like that got their start in New York as well. Also, there is a lot of overlap between folks who are developing new technologies, the tools that other types of artists then use to bring new types of expressions or emotions or stories to their audiences. So this overlap between the tool makers and the instrument players or the artists or the musicians, broadly speaking. I think that happens in a really deep, deep way in New York that I haven't seen that happen as much in the last decade or so in a whole lot of other cities. I also love New York, so that's the other reason. <laughs> well, you're bringing a tear to my eye. I was born and raised in Manhattan, so uh, everything you said is so beautiful. Thank you. What do you think about the future of business in New York City? I mean, I think it's gonna come roaring back once we're through the next few months, you know, crawl our way out of the hibernation that we've all been in or the cocoons that we've all been forced into over the last year or so. If there's a bright side to any of what's happened over the last year, it's that it's forced a lot of changes and a lot of reckoning of things that kind of got shoved under the table in the day to day. So I think that at any of these key inflection points historically, whether it's a disease that our species is facing or a war or some other social upheaval, I think those are the opportunities where new ways for people to express themselves come to the foreground. So, you know, the emergence of movies or television or radio, all of these coincided with these big inflection points. And so I think broadly speaking, there's gonna be a lot of positive change that comes as a result of this really negative inflection point that we've all been going through. Yeah, I, I can't agree with you more on that. How did the pandemic affect your plants? I'm usually based in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, uh, in New York, but um, right now I'm calling you from our office in Hong Kong right now because we're making the Looking Glass portrait systems. We actually outfitted a whole floor here in order to do this, just two floors up from where I'm doing this call from right now. I'm here, you know, heads down with some of the team producing some of the parts to get out to the community of the, the atoms that make up the looking glass portrait system. I'm really excited to get back to New York after we get some of these shipments through with. I haven't been able to be in my apartment in Greenpoint, <laughs> mm. Brooklyn for a little bit. A huge impact has been most of the team is working remotely. And so that's particularly challenging when it comes to developing a new product that has some physical element to it. If it's not only software, you know, we've had to make loads of additional prototypes for everyone in the team to be working on the same systems. In the before times, we could just gather around one prototype and talk about it. We had to make, you know, dozens of these things and distribute them within the team and in our community. You know, there's benefits to that and downsides to it. It would have been difficult to, to manage doing all this remote stuff without the pandemic. And no one would have understood the point. Well, that's a, that's a great point. It, you know, our 
Mission to Mars goal has always been to unlock holographic communication. The idea being that instead of us being, you know, little glowing rectangles on Zoom calls with each other, at some point in the future, it would feel as if, you know, you and I having a Zoom call, we're sitting right across the table from one another, even if we're um, literally a world apart or maybe in the future worlds apart. And that story always fell on deaf ears by and large. That has changed over the last 12 months where first thing on people's lips when we're talking about holographic display in the future that holds and can bring to the world. The first thing on folks' lips is how can we do a holographic Zoom call? How can we feel as if we're there with one another even if we have to be apart physically? So I think there's gonna be a dramatic acceleration of the move from local on my desk only holographic display to network systems and the local compute display technology that we've been developing is going to really dramatically and quickly transform into a communication technology if you had one wish to come true with all of this what, what would that be i mean the whole you mean the whole endeavor yes the whole, the whole magnificent endeavor you created you and your partner created there's dozens of us in the team who have been building towards this common dream for the last six years or so, and a much bigger community, which you obviously know a lot of folks who have helped out in this journey in all sorts of ways. The reason that we're doing this is, one, we don't want a dystopian future of folks in only headsets all the time, only you know Mark Zuckerberg's VR headset for 16 hours a day. Partially to prevent that future from happening, we need to have advanced interfaces that allow three-dimensional content to be seen and people to communicate through these systems and creating in these systems that don't require a headset that you can look away from. By proving that holographic display is possible commercially, we hope to avoid that sort of ready player one only dystopian future that folks like Zuckerberg are building. And you know, the other is that we think that we'll be better stewards of that future than the next guy. And I know most young companies probably say the same thing, but we're trying to take moves in our company and community to ensure that we are good stewards of this future that unfurls. So that's a long-winded way of me saying that it's not so much about the specific technology, how many units we sell, how much money we make. Those are all secondary and almost incidental to hoping that we positively impact the future to come. Because the tools that we use, like this call that we're on, the computers that we're chatting with each other through right now, the phones in our pockets, the televisions that we watch, those, those tools do have a major impact on what we do as a species because you know we're a digital species, so in a lot of ways, those things are the main tool that we use, we think that the makers of those tools have a big responsibility and we hope to play a um, positive role in that. Knowing you for as, as long as I have, I gotta say, I know that whatever you believe in and pursue will come true because uh, you know how to handle the bumps in the road because you know there's, a, there's never a straight line in business, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, folks, we, you know, we, we see this as a continuation of uh, what we're doing as part of this centuries-long journey that our species has been on and this goal that we've been pursuing of ever more realistic ways to connect with each other and to depict the world around us. Da Vinci even wrote, primary goal of the artist is to represent the three-dimensional world on the flat canvas. He and a lot of other artists at that time developed a lot of tools to do so, 
with the canvas available to them. And then, you know, you have the advent of film and stereo display and stereo photography. And then you have um, all these other things that have happened over centuries. We're getting to the point where that pinnacle of perfect fidelity is where we can represent the real world in a way that feels indistinguishable from the atoms that make up the stuff and people and um, places around us, where we can do that with instead of atoms with rays of light. And so, I, I mean, I think it's a pretty good bet that even though we're not exactly sure what elements of this future will take hold, what exactly they look like, that pursuit and that common thread spanning many, many centuries um, is something that will continue into the future. And we're just trying to match up and be a part of that long, long, long thread. Forget that we're evolving. We haven't stopped here. I always say the brain gets what it wants. Right, you know? right. And what you've done is a really an incredible accomplishment. Uh, and I, I thank you. That's really nice. I, I love all the say. folks that you have around you. I'm so glad you well, our paths crossed. Yeah, me too. Very, very, very glad. Your partner. What role did he play? Uh, Alex Hornstein. So he's co-founder and he was driving forward a lot of invention along with me for a while. He's in Costa Rica visiting with wildlife there in the middle of mountain villa. Yeah, Alex was a part of developing a lot of what we did in our search for how to unlock the dream of the hologram, that broad dream that all of us know from the movies, but we didn't really have a clear idea of how to do it. He's still a part of the company on the board, moved on to other invention adventures. Excellent. How, how did your paths cross? How'd you bump into him? Actually, I was given a talk about some inventions that I was working on, not hologram related at all, different inventions in the wind and solar energy space 10 years ago or so, I guess. And he was, he happened, this was in Hong Kong and he happened to be there. He's an incredible inventor that spotted one of his own and we started making stuff together and did that for a few years in a whole different bunch of areas like solar panel, micro factories, all sorts of things like that. And then decided to kick off the holographic revolution six years ago or so. It's come a long way. We didn't know that this was actually going to, we were going to get to this point in six years. We thought it might take 10, 10 or 20 ahead of schedule from our point of view. What do you say to people who push back on the use of the hologram term? Yeah, I mean, um, part of my background is in conventional laser interference holography, the classic approach, which was in that book, Holography Handbook, that I think maybe some of your listeners know about. I built the sandbox with my dad, full of the ton of sand, and then I studied conventional holography under Steve Benton for a bit at MIT a couple of years before he passed away. And so I understand where folks are coming from that come from the background of the conventional holography field. The thing is with terms, my point of view is that society and conversations kind of drive forward what those terms are used for and what they mean to people. It's been a while since the term holography has meant what the few of us who actually have ever done a classic laser interference holographic exposure, what it means to us. This has happened before too. 3D printing used to mean a very specific process of additive manufacturing, but then folks started to use it to mean the whole kit and caboodle, SLS, SLA, blah, 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 blah. That was all 3D printing. And I think hologram or the chase for 
the dream of the hologram or holographic display. Now to us, and I think to a growing number of folks in the broader community, means that which provides genuinely three-dimensional views to groups of people without them having to put on a headset. You know, I'm always happy to have that debate. Conversations are what drive what a term ends up meaning in the end. And I think it's been a while since holographic display or hologram has meant laser interference pattern captured on high density glass slide for most folks who are in that conversation. It happens all the time. You know, when you say stereo, most people think right. audio. Stereo right. views came before that and then the audio guy stole it. Then 3D got taken into mm -hmm. a different, because when you say 3D, you always have to, at one time you just said 3D. Now you gotta say 3D stereo. So yes, you're exactly right. Society generates the definition of a term and I, I can't agree with you more. And I think you've done more to promote the, the a hologram than, like you said, a laser interference hologram. Yeah. Hey, by the way, speaking of lasers, you know, I actually built my first one when I was 10, I, I built a Haney. Oh, really? Yeah, I built a Haney laser, yeah, yeah. So. Oh my God, that's great, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I, I got it on a kit, you know, and I, I, I built this thing. And uh, so the first uh, acronym, you know, Light Amplification by Stimulated Emission of Radiation <laughs> is actually right. from a 10-year-old brain. Like that was in my head. Like literally, that's it, a, yeah. The, the, yeah. Th those are the neurons you're hearing repeat that word. They're like that old, you know, it, it, it got picked. I feel, I, I'm, I'm exactly uh, similar age, that's when, um, I think I got my first helium neon laser. I didn't build it. I got it off of, I don't know if eBay was even around then, or I got it from some mail order laser catalog that I carried in my back pocket for one or two years before I saved up enough, you know, lawnmower money to buy the thing. But yeah, I, same thing here. That's burned into my brain. That's why we're cut from, you know, from the same cloth. I literally, mm -hmm. at 12, I got a camera. I wanted to be a photographer. So I went, saved my money, got myself a camera and studied photography at 12. So everything I've done and I, you know, I had a guitar at eight. My parents bought me, mm -hmm. I, but they never got me lessons, so I kind of figured it on my own. But I've I've done right. all that. I've never really. That's why I tell people, you know, I really never worked a day in my life, um, because I just did the things I enjoyed, and and I, you know, I, I find that just like what you you're doing, your people find passionate people. It is just a, a weird phenomenon, of some quantum effect that I can't explain why that mm -hmm. happens, but it does. Uh, if you're passionate about what you do, people find you, and success happens. and And success is is gauged by you know, differently by different people. Because money is really just energy, right? It's a very efficient mm -hmm. way of transferring energy. That's mm -hmm. why they call it currency, right? Do you ever think about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because if I got a hundred dollars, I can tell a guy dig a hole. Now, t tell me that's not transfer of energy. That literally, I have that yeah. piece of flat piece yeah. of. It somehow transfers to action. So it's literally energy. So if you're not using it as that. And God bless those people who pass the energy down to guys like you and me. The piano has been drinking. The piano. Has